His name was Frank Black, a legendary forensic profiler and a devoted husband and father. He was a figure of hope and compassion, the visionary hero of one of television's most remarkable dramas. And though he faced terrible crimes and unspeakable horrors with an uncommon courage, his profound abilities evoked something deep within us all. The need for empathy and an instinctive awareness of the darkness that threatens to overcome it. His story is both deeply personal and utterly universal. It continues to inspire audiences around the world. In this anxious and conflicted era, we wait, we worry, and we look back to Frank Black in search of a way forward. I'm Clea Scott, and this is the legacy of Chris Carter's Millennium. Welcome to Fourth Horseman Press, the podcast for the independent publisher of the same name and in which we talk about our books with our authors as well as much more besides. I'm Adam Chamberlain. I'm your host and associate publisher at Fourth Horseman Press. And in this episode, we're going to start a series of interviews with several of the authors behind Back to Frank Black, which we released a decade ago. What is Back to Frank Black, you may ask? Well, it explores Millennium, a landmark television drama that ran for three seasons on the Fox network from 1996 to 1999. And it was created by Chris Carter, best known for The X-Files. And it starred Lance Henriksen, Megan Gallagher, Brittany Tiplady, and Claire Scott. And at this point, I have to say a huge thank you to the wonderful Claire Scott for recording the introduction you just heard, and which still gives me chills every time I hear it. Uh, so the book, it grew out of the campaign by the same name, uh, which was seeking to bring Millennium back to our screens. And we were invited by those behind the campaign, that's James McLean and Troy Foreman, to put the book together. And the interviews with the creators, cast and crew that are featured throughout are actually mostly based upon their interviews for the campaign's podcast series. Uh, Troy Foreman subsequently went on to be one of the executive producers on the documentary Millennium After the Millennium, which was released in 2019. And we'll be sure to include links to uh, a number of those podcasts, which are still available, as well as to the uh, documentary in the show notes. Please do check both of those out. So the book was released in late 2020. 12. It features forewords from Lance Henriksen and co-executive producer and screenwriter Frank Spotnitz and an introduction by Chris Carter himself. And then as well as the interviews, it also features essays from a number of authors who came together to share their analysis and perspectives on various aspects of the series. And it's those authors and their essays that we're going to do a deep dive into across several episodes of the podcast that we're going to be releasing over the coming weeks before actually bringing them all together into a, an epic omnibus edition. So without further ado, let's hear the very first of those interviews. So first up, we have the author of the very first chapter to Back to Frank Black, and that is author Joseph Madre. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Adam. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Perhaps for folks who aren't familiar with with your work, perhaps you could start by uh, 
giving everyone a bit of an introduction to who you are and what you do. Well, I'm an author and a uh, television documentary writer. I've been doing both those things now for a little over 20 years, do a lot of true crime documentary television shows, and and also write a lot of books about films and and filmmakers, uh, including a book on uh, Lance Henriksen. Absolutely, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. You may have heard of him. (laughs) We may have heard of him. We may indeed. So, Millennium itself, can can you talk a little bit about how and when you first discovered Millennium as a viewer? Strangely, I did not see it when it uh, was originally airing on television. I think, yeah, I think it was the early days of Netflix, actually, um, when the the, whole series was on. Uh, DVD and I, uh, I, I was really more of a movie person than a than a TV person. Didn't follow a lot of TV shows, so one day it sort of dawned on me that there was this whole kind of body of of, of work featuring Lance Henriksen, who I I loved as an actor. You know, I, I would always watch any movie that he was in. One day I, I realized there's these you know 67 mini movies uh, or one really long movie featuring Lance and. Uh, you know, like I said, it's the early days of Netflix, so I sort of set out to binge watch the entire series, which was, I, I don't know, maybe not the best way to, it's a little intense uh, to go through the whole series that way, but I was hooked, certainly, and and um, I don't know that Lance has really ever been better in a role, you know, he, he's so made Frank Black kind of a, a, a part of him as a person, and, and also brought a lot of, of who he was and his life experience to the character. So yeah, I suppose I, I, I kind of came to it by way of Lance. And so that, and that, uh, yeah, that dates thing, doesn't it? The idea when Netflix used to mail out DVDs comes out. Yeah, right. Too, so, so, right. So, so you were, you were binge watching. I'm, I'm old. But, but, I, I really miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, um, so was it Lance Henriksen that, that was the, the series initial appeal to you then was, was very much that, that he was in the lead role? Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I was a horror fan and in, in college I had written my first book, which was a, a cultural study of, of horror films and, you know, M- Millennium in, in my mind really fit in with sort of the best of the, let's say early nineties horror films. Um, you know, I mean, it, it sort of fits in with stuff like uh, Silence of the Lambs and, and uh, Seven and, and then also with some of the kind of classic horror, you know, supernatural kind of stuff. A lot of like vampire movies were very big and in uh you know in in the 90s american horror films and you know there aren't any vampires in in, in millennium there aren't any literal vampires <laughs> ones, yeah. but you know the, the the tone is there and the element of the supernatural really appealed to me so i mean it's it's kind of funny that i didn't watch the series when it was originally on tv because it's almost like it was made for me i mean it was like right in my sweet spot and yep. uh i just i don't know you know i gravitated away from things with commercial interruptions at that time right. still do so your uh, chapter in uh, Back to Frank Black so it immediately follows the uh, the forwards from Lance Henriksen and, and, and Frank Spotnitz and then the introduction from Chris Carter and then we come to your chapter which is titled uh, Frank Black and America's Fan de Siècle if uh, my French accent isn't terrible so can you can you tell us <laughs> okay. uh, can you tell us a little about what the chapter is about and what inspired you to want to to write about that oh uh, well I I think probably came from being an, an English literature major in college and, and being, you know, just kind of a, a big geek for, for Gothic literature and Victorian poetry. I mean, a lot of the things that I was reading 
as a, as a college student and the sort of the darker stuff that really appealed to me seemed related not only to, to millennium, but, but kind of to a lot of the things in pop culture in the nineties that I was particularly interested in. Again, I sort of think of like silence of the lambs as kind of yeah. like a, like the launch point for the nineties, if you were a horror nerd. at least. Right, yeah. And, um, and, and so, you know, the fact that there was this TV show that kind of tied all of these things together, you know, tied together a fascination that I had with sort of, you know, true crime and, and serial killers and, and supernatural horror and, and, you know, then some of the literature that I was really invested in at the time, you know, the fact that all of this was in one TV series, uh, that was, that, that was the appeal, you know, that's what the show was for me. So it seemed yeah. you know, obvious to kind of look at it through, you know, maybe a little more of a, a kind of literary lens that uh, I, I think a lot of the writers on the show were were sort of coming at it that just an extremely erudite you know group of, of writers who were, who were putting that show together and pulling mm-hmm. the quotes you know at the beginning of each of each episode I mean just you know very well read uh, groups of people you know make, making the show which I think is is is, is rare I, I can't personally think of, of certainly not any other show from that time period and mm-hmm. And not very many shows since then that have kind of that that level of of intellect behind them. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you that that um, sort of literacy that was just sort of in, inherent right from the quotes onwards. I I uh, I always appreciated that too. So so just to dig in, into that the, the sort of gothic idea a, a little more. So so the fin de siècle that that term. So as in, I understand it, and you get into this in, in your chapter. So it's it derives from the end of the nineteenth century in Europe, right? I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you you kind of update that and you reference and you quote a piece by Mark Edmondson called Nightmare on, on Main Street that then sort of updates that to talk about terror gothic and the idea of apocalyptic gothic, right? That Yeah, I mean, I think, I, so actually I had a, a professor in college who introduced me to that book he, and, he, and he taught a course on on gothic literature. So that guy was obviously hugely influential for me. But But I think, you know, apart from the ideas, I think a lot of that sense of pre-millennial doom was kind of in the air at the time in a in a way or at least it was for for me i mean it's so easy to to kind of make generalizations about what was going on in the culture and i should probably only speak to being a young guy obsessed with horror movies and and i mean i like i you know grew up my my father was a was a minister and you know and so there was there's certain kind of you know some of these ideas about what would happen in the year 2000 had had kind of taken root in my psyche and then you've got all the you know this seems silly now too but the whole thing with like y2k that all the computers were gonna blow up on new year's eve you know everything was going to shut down all of our info we were going to go back to the dark ages you know and then that's a complete you know it's, it's sort of a completely separate potential crisis from what the kind of religious right was saying was going to happen in, in the year 2000 or on New Year's Eve. And, and, and so it was just this big, you know, for years, I think, leading up to that, certainly in the late 90s, this, this big kind of like pregnant pause. That was something that I felt in the things that I was watching, the movies that I was watching. It's certainly there in Millennium. It's, it was there in the things that I was reading. It was vivid for me. So it really, you know, so I think it was natural for me to write an, an essay about all this because it wasn't, for me, just kind of an intellectual exercise. It actually mm-hmm. was, it's like trying to understand because as soon as New Year's Eve, you know, 2000, 99, 2000 passed, 
it was a little bit like, what, what was that? What was that all about? Nothing happened. And, and, you know, yeah, years later, it just seems like kind of a silly thing. You know, what was everybody worked up for? It was so abstract. You know, what were we actually worried was going to happen? And depending on who you ask, you get a different answer, but the abstractness of it, I think is, is at the, the heart of millennium. I mean, I think, I think it's maybe why narratively, Millennium can be quite abstract, especially over the course of three seasons, that there was just a lot of material to work with there, a lot of different directions to go in, and they're only sort of vaguely tied together. <laughs> so it's a pretty, you know, it's a deep, a deep well to explore. It is, absolutely. So you think I want you talk about this idea of the, the sort of gothic despair and then the, the tagline, the who cares tagline being about, well, actually, who's, who's going to be strong enough to care about the things that are running a hand, out of hand with society in terms of, both in terms of that sort of pre-millennial tension, but also the rise in criminality and all, all, the, all this kind of uh, stuff as well. And and then you go on to talk about the, the response to that and how some of the American culture was quite um, sort of facile in its response, but actually Millennium was was trying to be a little bit more appropriate and real about the, the, the world that we were living in, right? Well, the facile response thing, I think, was was actually from the Nightmare on, on Main Street, the book by Mark Edmondson, where he kind of talked, I remember there was like a whole chapter on Forrest Gump as kind of a, a response to this sort of pre-millennial angst, you know, and we'll, we'll just kind of disappear into... Um, this sort of mind-numbing transcendence and ignore all of the darkness or oversimplify all of the darkness or negate it all with, uh, I, don't, I don't know, just kind of willful stupidity, I guess. Right. Um, you know, but but not really dig in and look at the ugly things um, in, in the culture. And, you know, I remember Chris Carter talked about the basic concept of millennium being the appropriate response to that. What is the yep. appropriate? response to that and and that that a character like Frank Black is this sort of ideal hero and this kind of timeless response to that which is really just a human being who is empathetic mm. and who is able and willing to see to acknowledge all of these things that are that are problems and kind of address them head on as opposed to trying to ignore them or or run away from them or assume that they're just going to be somebody else's problem that it's too big a problem for you know for for one person to address so we'll just right. we'll ignore it and let it be somebody else's problem yeah so you reference Lance and so on and of, and of course as you mentioned at the start you you uh so you co-wrote not bad for a human so Lance Henriksen's uh, autobiography which is a fantastic book um I have it right next to me on my shelf I can see it from where I'm sat and you talk a little bit about the sort of the roles that, that led up to him taking the role of, of Frank Black and a little bit about what he brought to the role yeah well I remember that uh I, I think Chris Carter decided to go with Lance or meet with Lance or something based on Lance's performance in Powder, where he was kind of, he was playing a small town sheriff and, and was really kind of a father figure to the main character in that film. And, you know, I guess at that point, Lance had played a lot of, uh, a lot of very gruff, intimidating roles. And, and he's a very sort of warm paternal character in, in Powder, but still with the, intensity of a guy who is like somebody who just stepped out of the old west i mean and so that combination of somebody who can bring all of that to the table that's that's i mean that, that you know chris carter said that is frank black that's what he has to be um you know lance 
just had all of that. I think naturally that kind of that kind of charisma and and I think the challenge for Lance was trying to kind of episode by episode make sure that he was kind of bringing himself up to the intellectual level of the writers and what they were having Frank Black say, what what his thought process was. Um, you know, and in some cases, Lance could fall back on his instincts instead of having to rely on the words. You have that quote from him, actually, that uh, uh, from Not Bad from a Human, where he says, yeah, I use my most primitive instincts to play the most sophisticated character, which is exactly as you uh, as you say. Yeah, well, and that he trusted himself to do that. I mean, that's, that's yep. you know, there, there again, that's a very Frank Black thing to do, because of course, mm. the, oh, the, the, you know, the, the magic of the character is how intuitive he is, you know, that yeah, it's, um, yeah. that he's not a, he's not psychic, he's not a magician, but he's, he's mm. got this, this almost supernatural intuition uh, yeah. that allows him to address the problems that, that, that seem in a world that seem, frankly, insurmountable, frankly, sorry, yeah. but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and but he has such uh, such uh, insight into the character, doesn't it? So so you talk about uh, some of the episode Kingdom Come, where he gets asked about his Christian belief, and as scripted, he he was to say he was to confirm that he was an atheist, but actually Lance felt that wasn't right, and he had a much more ambiguous answer that got inserted into the script, which I think was a great it's a great moment, and it just feels more more truthful and insightful. So I think he brings that through, through his instincts too. I think he didn't want to make it explicit. Didn't didn't want to make. Frank mm. Black's belief system explicit, and 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 there again, I think it's a, l- a little bit relying on instincts. That that instinctively, Lance is just a really good person. Like he's just a good-hearted person, and and he wanted to bring that to to Frank Black. I mean, he thought that that's what Frank Black would be, rather than somebody who's going to pontificate or somebody who's going to present, you know, a- any kind of specific dogma or, or or set of beliefs is much more about um, being empathetic to to people yes. from, from different belief systems, I think was more important to him than, than having the character actually espouse a specific set of beliefs, whether it's faith or, or you know, a lack of faith. Absolutely. It's, yeah, to its credit and credit. And it's one of the reasons why the role, I think, is so, so uh, well remembered and uh, for everything that he, he brought to it. So I wanted to sort of lead into asking what about what Millennium still means to you today but perhaps before I, before I do that I, I love the the way you end this chapter where you you talk about the uh this sort of battle against the thousand points of darkness still being waged and and this appropriate response that millennium has to the world we live in and, and you say how should we fight violence with understanding how should we face the future without fear how can we change the world one person at a time this is who we are, um, which is a, a great ending to the, to the chapter. So perhaps le- leading from that, what does millennium still mean to you today? I, I, don't, I don't know that I could say it any better than that. Um, I think uh, I think all of that's, you know, the, the whole thing about Frank Black being kind of a timeless answer to, to these pervasive problems in the world. The thousand points of darkness don't go away. You know, they, they mutate. Uh, they have mutated. Uh, there's there's a lot of things obviously going on in in the world uh, now that we could not have imagined in in the late 1990s that are in in some ways as catastrophic or as apocalyptic as as you know anything that was in in the TV show. And I still think that that's the the best way that we can respond to those things is is really on an individual level to try to do the right thing moment by moment in in daily life and that that you know if everybody's doing that then you have this kind of uh, uh like a sea change hmm. um and and but but that you you know it's hard to 
sort of stimulate change at that at that higher level without making it about dogma or marching orders for how to make the world world better. I remember Lance talking about how he as a person has a lot of faith in people and individual people, but not a lot of faith in groups. Mm. And I think that plays out certainly in the storylines of Millennium that the Millennium group ends up being, um, you know, corrupt despite having, you know, at least in theory, good intentions yes. <laughs> sort of muddled over the course of the series, what the intentions really are, but you know, that he, that he kind of has to, in order to continue to be Frank Black and to be the, the appropriate response to the world, to the thousand points of darkness, he kind of has to go rogue and yep. just be who he is and encourage other people to be their best selves. You know, since, since you asked what it, what it still, you know, what the show still means in the 21st century. I mean, I've, obviously there's been people for years talking about now, this is still a relevant storyline and that it should come back. And, and I think there's plenty of, of room for not only for Frank to, to come back as, as a hero, but, but to kind of look at the people around him, the, char- the other characters were in the, that were in the show around him then and, and characters that may, may be new and people that are in Frank Black's life in the last 20 years who've been changed or transformed by... Uh, their their contact with him, how he's how he's changed their their behavior in the world, and what the over what the effect of that behavior is. One person doing the right thing, you know, and then you know e- each episode is a different person. And how do you change the world? We do we do it one person at a time. That's a series that is still very relevant, and and that you know I, I think people could dare I say kind of benefit from watching now. And it's a, sort of pretentious to talk about it in those terms, but. Uh, you know, I think that was always kind of the, the value of the show that it's we're going to hook the the horror geeks here by really showing the ugliness. But really, it's the you know, it's that point of light in in the sea of darkness that um, is the real strength of the show. And that and that makes you come back to it year after year. Yeah, yeah to that. Beautifully put. I, th- I think it's a great place to leave it. So, so thank you again for uh, coming and talking to us about Millennium and, and back to Frank Black. But what, what projects have you got going on? today or, or upcoming that you'd like to share well i've got uh my, my my big thing that i'm working on right now is a is an in-depth biography of wes craven who uh i, I think i'm probably invested in uh in, in him his stories uh kind of for the same reason that i've invested in in millennium that i think he uh he was a very literary um uh, thinker i think even more than a a cinematic storyteller. You know, he was a, he was a literature professor who, through through a fluke, found his way into into film, and that became his life. And you know, but I think that finding the the point of of light in the sea of darkness is very much his main theme, and and you know, the kind of stories that he was telling. So I've been obsessing about uh, Wes and his work, and uh, for about the last two years now, and I've interviewed dozens of people who knew him. Uh, before and after he was a filmmaker, I mean, people who knew him in childhood, and it's just been kind of a, a revelation. And hopefully, the book will, will really. Well, I promise. Actually, I promise. I can promise anybody who thinks they know about Wes Craven that the book will be revelatory. That it will be uh, a lot of things that you do not know about Wes Craven. That is well. I look forward to that. So, and where can people find you online? Uh, I have a, a long suffering blog that's still floating around. I don't update it much anymore, but every now and then, if I have something to say, it's still there at madre.blogspot.com. I'm, I'm also on uh, Goodreads 
and um, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with updating what I'm what I'm reading and keeping track of things on there. So that's always a, an easy way for people to get in touch with me if anyone is inclined. Absolutely. And I follow you on Goodreads and you always make me feel bad for how few books I manage to read. Um, but, but I always <laughs> aspire to reading more based on your updates. So yeah. <laughs> but you must also look at it and go, why the hell is he reading that? No, no, it's said uh, that there'll be one or two books that I've bookmarked myself to read based on, on yours. So I can definitely recommend uh, uh, checking you out there on Goodreads. Well, thanks again, Joe. It's been great to talk to you. It's been, it's been too long, but it's uh, great to talk to you. Thank you once again for uh, coming and talk to us about Millennium and about Back to Frank Black. Thanks for having me and for continuing to carry the torch for Millennium. And thank you once again to Joe for that interview. Uh, you can find out more about Back to Frank Black, including on how to order a copy, if you don't happen to have a copy already, uh, on our website at fourthhorsemanpress.com. And I would like to add that uh, all proceeds from the sales of the book still go to Children of the Night, which is a US-based non-profit that was chosen by Lance Henriksen back when we first released the book, and which intervenes in and rehabilitates the lives of children who have suffered from sexual exploitation. As well as our website, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Fourth Horse Press. That's the number four at the start there. Uh, and you'll also find us quite readily on both Instagram and Facebook. Thank you once again for listening. If you enjoyed, please do subscribe so you get to hear the future episodes that are going to be coming up. And uh, please also rate and review because that very much helps other people to find us too. And if you would like to hear more Millennium-related discussion, we would like to very much recommend you check out The Time Is Now, which is a podcast series from the We Made This podcast network. I should warn you, I do feature on a handful of the episodes of that podcast, uh, and it explores one episode at a time, as well as doing some deep dives into certain aspects of the series. And also, uh, they have a sister podcast, The X-Cast, which is all about the X-Files, and they very recently interviewed Chris Carter, and he talks about Millennium a number of times through the course of that interview. Please do check both of those out. All the links to those, all the links I've mentioned throughout the show, you can find in our show notes. I will be releasing episodes on a weekly-ish basis for the next several weeks. But until then, do please keep reading, keep writing, and dust off your DVDs for a rewatch or seek out the box set and discover the world of Millennium.